Welcome to Beyond Wall Street, presented by Arixa Capital, where expert investors make their unique investment strategies easy to understand. I'm your host, Jan Bresky, and today I'm talking with Todd Trabaco, Director of Strategy and Research at ITE Management. We'll be discussing investing in physical assets for cash flow. Todd, it's great to see you today. Thank you for being interviewed for our interview series for um, investors that are trying to discover alternative investments. How are you today? I'm all right, Jan. It's a pleasure being on. It's good to see you again. I'm very excited to be here. So, Todd, let's start with your personal background and your career that brought you to where you are today. Sure. Well, I started in um, actually in development banking. I worked for the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development um, in the mid-90s, uh, lending money and doing project finance in, in Eastern Europe and the former Soviet Union. And I basically stayed in credit for most of my career, uh, worked at Moody's for a period, um, and eventually transitioned over to the alternative side in about 2005 and thought that it was really exciting and worked for a GP uh, that was essentially now a direct lender, but at the time was a more of a credit opportunities fund. And a family member actually invested in the fund and, and loved the returns, thought it was really great. And that kind of got me thinking about the applicability of, of these types of assets. And I joined IT because I thought that this is just a great space to be, especially for individuals. Uh, I think these types of assets are are really appealing. And, and full disclosure, I'm personally invested in quite a few of these types of vehicles myself for a lot of the reasons we're going to cover today, I imagine. Terrific. So let's talk about ITE for a minute. What are the main strategies that ITE pursues? I think the clearest way to describe it would be to say that we, we're a landlord, but not of buildings, of things that move. So if you've ever um, had a mortgage or you've uh, had a lease, um, you know, you're allowed to use the house, you're allowed to use the apartment or whatever, um, and you have to pay a mortgage and you have to pay the lease regardless of whether or not you're there. And sometimes you have to maintain the house, like in a mortgage, that's on you. Um, or sometimes you can call up the landlord and say, hey, I need you to fix the broken window. We do that with rail cars, containers, aircraft, things like that. Do you typically own the assets and then you lease them out for income? Is that how the strategy works? That's exactly right. It's, if you think about it, um, we're essentially like GMAC or you know Toyota Motor Finance. You know when you buy it, when you buy a car or when you lease a car, you know the Toyota dealership or the whatever General Motors dealership sells actually sells the car to to its financing wing. You know, and then you as the less as the lessee pay out. Uh, pay the lease payments to the financial arm of the manufacturer. And that's really what we are. We own the asset and lease it out. Got it. And what are the returns that you're targeting from the actual investment? So if you own a rail car, or you own some other industrial asset, what are the returns you're targeting there? Most transportation assets uh, in the industrial space, whether it's containers, um, aircraft, New aircraft, let's say, um, and and rail cars, uh, will yield you somewhere between on a gross basis somewhere between eight and twelve percent. So for most investors, an eight percent return is a huge return compared to other income-oriented investments, like you know, like that what they get in the stock or bond market is probably two or three. So why why is it such a high? return compared to other income-oriented strategies? 
that's the beauty of these types of assets, right? So rail cars and, 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 and airplanes and containers and certain types of shipping, they're not financial assets, right? They're not there to go to the highest bidder and there's, they're not subject to technical uh, influences and, and you'll never see GameStop in like the shipping space. You know, you'll never see that happen, right? You'll never see like Bitcoin and aircraft. And the reason is that these assets are productive and they're essential and they're critical to the lessees, right? And they serve a purpose. They're not just a store of value that is arbitrarily determined by people's spreadsheets. Um, and as a result, you know, um, CFOs of these companies that, that lease these businesses tend to leave those the leasing decisions uh, to, you know, to the logistics managers, right? The people whose jobs depend on getting goods or people from point A to point B. And so they're not necessarily focused on maximizing capital adequacy and capital efficiency and, and getting the best possible rate. Um, you know, they're more focused on making sure that they have the right assets at the right time, you know, when they need them. And as a result of that, uh, they're willing to pay up a premium for that. And how long is a typical lease? Maybe you could give us an example from each of the different areas that we've been talking about, rail cars, shipping, and, and aircraft. Yeah, sure. So rail car leases can run anywhere, you know, they can run up to 10 years. And uh, shipping containers can run, you know, five to seven. Aircraft leases, you can get leases there up to that 10-year life period as well. The key, though, is, is the types of leases that you have, right? The leases are what are known as hell or high water. So the lessee owes the lease payment to the lessor regardless of use. And it's a little bit like, you know, if you've ever rented an apartment, it doesn't matter if you go on a business trip for a week or two, you still have to pay the landlord for, for, for having access to it. Cause that's really what the lessees pay for is having access to the asset. Are you typically leasing a given asset multiple times during the time that you own the asset? You said these leases can range up to 10 years. So how long is their useful life? Sure. So a rail car can last up to 50 years. Uh, an airplane can last, you know, up to 25 years. A container can last up to, you know, 12 years or even longer. You know, um, and so you, you have the chance to release the asset over, the, over its life. Generally, for a container, you'll probably lease it for um, one cycle, one life, and then you might sell it into the secondary market. Uh, but aircraft, you can lease over and over again. Same thing with rail cars. And do you typically sell these assets uh, before the end of their useful life, or do you use them as long as you can lease them and then? essentially recycle recycle them and you've you've earned your return on them so now you don't have an expectation of 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 anybody using it again yeah it's it's the latter you don't want to really drive return with these assets from you know the exit multiple you want to drive return from the leases you want you want to provide a nice stable income to the you know to people so where does this fit in an investor's portfolio is this a is this a sort of an equity like strategy or do you think of it as part of the part of the fixed income portfolio or something different this would be part of a fixed income portfolio real assets don't have the kind of the, the pop that you can get from from any sort of equities they provide a current yield and very stable and so fixed income is the best place for them and do you typically use um, debt as part of the strategy uh, to to capitalize the cost of an asset that you purchase and you're going to lease out are you typically buying that all with investor capital or are you buying it with a combination of investor capital and bank financing, for example? I think any real asset manager 
whether it's you know multifamily aircraft rail cars whatever we'll be using debt the question is just how much and how much is the right amount in your view or how do you determine how much debt to use is it to solve for that return target that the investors are looking for from your strategy or some other way i think every fund manager will give you a different answer um we tend to err on the side of prudence and try to underlever. Try to underlever. So, can you give us in your industry what's the range of structural leverage that that you and firms like you tend to operate within? Just so people have a general idea. Sure. So, for across all asset classes that I that I mentioned, I I think that the range would be anywhere from sixty to eighty five percent. Okay. And what are the risks that investors in this sector should consider? I think the number one risk that anybody trying to access this space is liquidity, right? So if you need to get your money out quickly, if you have, you know, if you're an individual like myself or yourself, um, and you need to be able to get a hold of your your, your assets quickly because you have to, to pay a tuition or whatever, um, then there's certain ways to gain access, RMBS and REITs and things like that. But if you can lock up your capital for, for longer, then you can kind of look more towards alternative strategies. But you really can't access your capital as quickly. And so uh, I think in, investors should think about not just the risk budget, but also the liquidity budget when making these investments. Terrific. What's one of the things that you like about your job? One of your favorite things about the job? Uh, telling the story. I think that, that real assets are are interesting. and. The assets we traffic in um, are, are different, you know. Um, if, you know. Real estate is is something that everybody understands, and so real estate GPs might have a little easier informational hurdle. Um, the great thing about finding these kind of quirky assets is that there's the educational element to it, which which I think is a, is a lot of fun, and it's great when you see like the light go off in an LP's head. You see, oh, this is this is really interesting, and this is how it works, and that's that's very rewarding to me. And then, what's one of the most challenging things about your job or or the strategies that we've been talking about either one there's always something right so if you if you're if you're investing in something that everybody understands then it's easy to be dismissed because you know i have enough of that in my portfolio flip side of the coin is when you're when you're targeting things that are less you know less well recognized it's easy to be dismissed you know because oh i don't know what that is and i don't need it so the hardest part i think is 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 trying to you know convince people that um, you know the assets are not cyclical that they're interesting that they're downside protected and they have wonderful attributes because I think you know we all have our own you know preconceived notions and sometimes those can get in the way thank you so much Todd I always I always enjoy talking to you because you break it down in a way that I think people will understand all right yeah it's a pleasure being on I'm Jan Bresky and you've been listening to Beyond Wall Street.